Well, good morning. It's still morning, right? I think it is. Um, what a joy it is to see you today. Um, I know today we showed up at 10.30, but again, in our attempts to try to beat the heat, uh, next week we're, cho- we're changing the time to 10 o'clock. And so I don't know uh, how much of a difference it makes, but we're just doing everything we can to try to just be in the center of God's will. One of the things that I was telling the first uh, service is uh, when you go to Cambodia, and you go to church, it is hot. <laughs> it is so hot and humid. But man, the people there are so excited to worship. It doesn't matter that their t-shirts are drenched with sweat. Um, and so, uh, again, you know, our prayer is that we get back in the building. It's nice to hear the bass and uh, be in air conditioning. But um, we're okay with this, I guess, for now. Um, We're going to talk about how maybe this might even be a form or the beginnings of persecution. We'll talk about that in today's study. But one of the cool things about the Lord, huh, is that no matter what uh, the devil might throw our way or or work, you know, through people, you know, um, God will take what's intended for evil and use it for good, huh? And so last Thursday was kind of cool. We were having service outdoors and that brought in someone from the neighborhood and uh, it's just so cool to see God working in their life. And so uh, praise God that even in all these things, no matter what you're going through, no matter what we're going through, we are more than conquerors, right? Through him who loves us. And so are you guys excited to be here? Yes, <laughs> I hope you are. Um, I prayed for uh, the missions ministry uh, we mentioned uh, Cambodia, and you guys, uh, maybe you might know that we as a church, we sponsor about 30 uh, children in Cambodia. Some of these kids are literally orphans. They have no parents. Maybe they were found as infants uh, and abandoned, and so they were raised here in this Christian uh, a home. Some of them are just come from villages far away where they can't uh, get an education, and so it's kind of cool to be able to bring them to this home. They learn about Jesus and uh, they grow up and they go to school and they infiltrate their community as Christians. And so keep them in prayer. The reason I prayed for them is because they were told that they have to leave the home that they're in. And so I think they have until August 30th to find a home in Cambodia. They are in Phnom Penh, the capital. And so it's not that easy to find a home over there because of the fact that there's 30 orphan kids. And so um, if you can keep that in prayer. And I also mentioned a a child that was missing. It was a prayer request sent to us by Anthony and Monique Ramos. A friend of theirs child uh, was abducted. Uh, It's by one of the parents, but the other parent doesn't know where the child is. And so they asked for us to pray. And so I um, wanted to mention that to you guys. Um, Lord willing, in the next coming weeks, we're going to have an update on, on missions and Art uh, will probably give us some information on what's going on in Mexico and how we can pray for them. And maybe even, you know, eventually we'll be able to go on a trip. Um, but, but keep it in prayer. I thank God for the way that um, the Lord has laid on the heart of our church to be very giving and uh, to kind of reach out uh, with the gospel. And so today's a special day for many reasons. Uh, number one, it's our first Sunday in the heat um, outside underneath the tent. And number two, it's Philip's birthday. So Philip, why don't you say hi? And so uh, we're, I'm, we're blessed with Philip. He's actually a young man who has uh, served time in uh, the military. And uh, we always thank God for these guys. 
And so um, if you have a Bible today, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. One last thing I probably should mention is that we, we're not putting it up real loud because uh, according to the city ordinance, it can't be more than 50 decibels in the neighbor's uh, vicinity. And so uh, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah? Okay. All right, cool. So Revelation 2, um, this morning we study and we learn from Jesus' message to the persecuted church, and that is the church in Smyrna. And so I'm sure most of you guys probably know that uh, there's a lot of people in the world today as Christians that are being persecuted. If you haven't already visited their website, you might want to check out Voice of the Martyrs or persecuted.org. Uh, those are two websites that will give you information on what's going on. Every six minutes, a Christian is murdered for their faith. 90,000 Christians are martyred every single year. So we may not be experiencing it here in the United States of America, but we might be on the road to that. And we're going to see persecution actually is, uh, is shaped in many different ways. You know, throughout Christian history, 70 million believers have been martyred for their faith. And, of course, we know it's still going on around the world. Uh, today, 200 million uh, will be arrested, tortured, beaten, or imprisoned every year for being a Christian. So we, we don't see that here, but that's what's going on in the world that we live in. The most common sources of persecution are Marxism, radical Islam, and really the culture of the day, which is darkening. And so the forms of persecution, again, murder, imprisonment, torture, forced conversions, destruction of personal property, restrictions on churches, as well as educational and job discrimination. And so those are things that are taking place around the world. Today, for example, in India, uh, Christians are experiencing a massive outpouring of cultural persecution. Because in southern India, they, there's what's called collective fishing. And it's a common practice that requires village members to share boats. Unfortunately, Hindus have denied Christians access to these communal village boats. And so the social boycott has left thousands of Christians in crisis and has deprived them of their sole source of income. And so just to let you know a little bit about what's going on in the world, that's just a, a sliver, that's just the service. And so, of course, we want to pray for them. But I will say this, it might probably be better for them to pray for us. Because I think that what happens when the church is persecuted is the church is empowered and the church is purified. Now, not that we're necessarily looking for it, not that we're not going to necessarily fight for our rights as Christians, but what we find as Christians is that persecution brings spiritual prosperity. Because when we go through the trials with our eyes on the Lord, we will grow stronger as Christians. You know, that's why we're going to see that in today's study. That's why James wrote in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, he said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And so when you go through the hard times, when you go through the challenges and the difficulties, the Bible says that that's going to produce something in you that will allow you to go the distance, that endurance that you're going to need so that the day you die or the day that the Lord comes and we get raptured, we will find ourselves in heaven. 
And so James says, believe it or not, count it all joy when you go through that. And so today, our study, we have four main points. We're going to see, first of all, the Christians, and then the Christ, and then we'll see the council, and then the crown. And so I'll go through these as we uh, travel through the text today. But first of all, we read about the Christians here in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead, and came to life. And so first of all, he identifies who the letter is to. Remember, it comes from the Father, and he gave it to the Son to give to John. And then John gives it to the angel, who we believe is probably the pastor of each church, or at least the teachers, at least the messengers to each church. If God wanted to give a message to the church, a lot of times what he would do is he would speak through the pastor. And so that's why Paul the Apostle, and I mentioned that last week, he said to the Corinthian church, For I delivered to you that which I first received from the Lord. And so uh, John's writing to this leader, to this teacher, to the pastor. And then what the pastor does is he gives the message uh, to the fellowship. In this case, we see it's a city of Smyrna. Now, Smyrna was an Ionian city in Asia Minor uh, on the Aegean Sea, about 40 miles north of Ephesus. And so in those days, if you were to do like uh, the postal route, uh, your first stop would be in Ephesus. Your second stop would be in Smyrna. Smyrna, we're going to see, is a fascinating city. And, and one of the things that's interesting is that uh, the note or the sequence of studies in the book of Revelation. For, you know, we saw last week the, the, the true mark of a living church is when you love God. The church of Ephesus had left their first love. And so God was trying to bring them back to their first love. And so that's kind of how it begins. But then the second church it's interesting when you look at the sequence of studies that the second significant sign of being saved is your you're going to suffer or your willingness to suffer for being a christian i mean if you really love god then the devil will come after you if you're living half-hearted for God, you're not going to experience the same type of persecution that a Christian would who really, truly loves the Lord. And that's why it's so important to see even the sequence of studies, how we see now the church in Smyrna that was seriously suffering for their Savior. Now, last week we studied Ephesus, and there's a lot in the Bible about Ephesus. But this week we study Smyrna, and there's nothing more than what we have here in Revelation chapter 2. According to tradition, the church was started by Paul the Apostle on his third missionary journey. And according to history, this city was a, was a prominent city known as the Pride of Asia. If you were to go to Turkey today, you would still see the beautiful natural harbor there. And you would see that it's the third a largest city in the nation of Turkey with three million citizens. And so it's an interesting city. Um, what we find is that this uh, city of Smyrna was not just prominent, 
It was also very pagan. It was loyal to Rome, so much so that they actually built a temple to worship Rome in the city of Smyrna. You know how today we have like different cities that want to host the Olympics and every city kind of bids and, you know, they get selected. Well, there was a time in, in Roman uh, 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 history where the different cities were bidding uh, as far as uh, we want to build a temple to worship Rome. Smyrna was so loyal to Rome that they built the temple there, uh, not only to Rome, but also to the emperor. emperor. Uh, it's interesting when you look at the city of Smyrna, they had this interesting relationship with Rome. One time, uh, a messenger came to Smyrna and uh, informed the people that the soldiers were in dire straits, that they were in a winter struggle. And so check this out. The citizens of Smyrna, they took off their clothes and they gave them to this messenger to give to the Roman soldiers. All that to say that this city was dedicated to Rome and the worship of their emperor. And so that's the history of Smyrna. An interesting thing about it is that the word Smyrna is found in the Greek Septuagint. And that's a Greek version of the Old Testament. And the, in the Old Testament, uh, it was translated myrrh. And myrrh, you guys know this, right? You could Smyrna, myrrh. Myrrh was what they anointed the, the dead bodies with. It was that ointment that was put on Jesus' body, according to John chapter 19. And so we're going to see how this city suffered a lot of death because they loved the Lord. And so it's a real interesting city. It, it, we see, first of all, the Christians, who it's written to, but then we see, secondly, the Christ. Notice again what we read there in verse 8. It says, These things, says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. Now, as the Lord reveals himself to each church, it's not random. There's a reason he reveals certain aspects of his you know, personhood to each church. Now, here, when the Lord reveals himself to Smyrna, the suffering church, he reveals himself as the one who is the first and the last. And clearly what that is, is what he's telling them, I am God. You know, you read Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. We see the same thing in Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 12. And so the Lord says, I'm the first and the last, the originator and the terminator. He wants the saints of Smyrna to know that not only is he the communicator of this word, he is the creator of the world. And he wants them to know that it's God who's speaking to them. And I think that's important for us to know when we read the Bible. It's important for us to know that it's not John, that it's not the pastor, it's not the teacher, that it's God speaking to us especially when he's speaking to us a message of encouragement in the midst of extreme pain and suffering. Interesting thing about it is he says, I'm the first and the last. He says, I'm God. But then what does he say next? That he died. Notice again, it says right there, uh, these things is the first and the last who was dead and came to life. You know, and, and that's a lot 
of reasoning behind that. Some of you here, you're suffering great persecution, pain, sacrifice, trials, troubles. Not because you did something right, I mean something wrong, but because you did something right. You know, someone might look at someone who's down and out and going through difficulties and they might say, well, they're probably receiving their karma or whatever. You know, they deserve it. And, and you know, what we see is that God received the suffering. Even God himself died. And a lot of them were about to die. But the thing the Lord says is that he didn't stay dead, huh? He rose again. Now I was thinking about what's going on in our world today and I had posted something, I think it was on Instagram, about how we were going to meet outside as a church now because of the mandates of the governor and, you know, things like that. And so someone just put under the post uh, as a comment, they just put persecution. And, you know, I don't know their motives. I have a feeling that the devil does think that I can discourage them through these trials that I can discourage them from coming to church service, that I can discourage them and strike fear in them through danger. And I have a feeling that the devil is trying to persecute us. And so, you know, you look at what's going on, and, and again, unless there's some type of spiritual great awakening, you guys know just as well as I do that Christianity is, is, is in one sense, becoming uh, defined as bad and evil because we don't support the things that the world supports and they actually say that you're bad isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20 they call good evil and evil good right and so the day might come it might be in my lifetime because things are happening so rapidly it might be in my time that because of the fact that we preach the bible we preach the gospel we go to jail it might come in my lifetime it might come in your kid's lifetime here in the United States of America, that because you believe in the Bible and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might get thrown in prison and that you might even die. Can we put that beyond uh, the government? No, because we can't put it beyond the devil. And the Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. So what if... And I was just thinking about this, and I almost hesitate to say it, but what if one day uh, they, they have uh, some type of a, a gun or, or a knife or something point to your child's head, to their neck, and they tell me as a, as a, as a dad, denounce your faith or your child will die. See, if they were to do it in my head, I'd be like, no problem, but, you know, to my kid, some of you here might say, oh, no, I would denounce my faith because I don't want my child to die. But see, you, you can't denounce your faith. You mustn't deny, denounce your faith. Because Jesus died and then he lived. And your child will die and they will live. We will die and we will live. Smyrna needed to know that because that's where they were headed. And if you're here or if you're watching and you have a half-hearted commitment to God, let me tell you something, man. You will be left in the dust because unless you're truly in love with Jesus Christ, the trials and the pain and the struggles that you will experience in the coming days and the choices that you will have to make, 
they will either make you or break you. And so the Lord, in speaking to Smyrna, he reveals himself as God, the first and the last. But he says, I died, but I didn't stay dead. I, I, I came to life. And so that's the one who's speaking to us. And so we look at the Christ as far as who he is. And then we look at the Christ as far as what he knows. Notice what we read there in verse 9. He says, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The Lord is looking at the church that's suffering and going through trials and being persecuted. And he says, I know your works. I know your good deeds. That with you, it's not just words, that it's, it's works. And I, I see, Jesus says, how you work hard for me. And how you put your faith in action. You know, I praise God for the people of this church and the many ways they serve the Lord. And the way they're out there in the highways and byways. We have people from our church, praise God, that visited different police stations on behalf of Calvary Chapel Almani and gave them food and prayed for them. We have people that woke up early this morning to set up these tents and run the cables and do different things. And you guys, uh, in so many ways, you're, you're working, you're witnessing, you're praying, you're giving. Jesus says, I see that. I know your works. And then he says, I know your tribulation. Now, this was the heartbeat of the church of Smyrna. And, you know, as we go through the difficulties, I don't know, sometimes it's just good to know that God knows, that he sees. You know, sometimes maybe we're like Jacob. If you read Isaiah 40, 27 through 28, and Jacob thought, God doesn't see what I'm going through. But he does. You know, I know we're going through a pandemic. I know we're going through things that we've never experienced in our life. I know we're being pressured in so many ways to be politically correct or whatever, to make all the right decisions. There are things that we're all going through. But there are other things that you guys are going through. There's a, a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. It says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so the devil... If you love the Lord, you're going through it in different ways, in various ways. Sometimes you're getting hit through a family member. Uh, sometimes it's through a friend. Sometimes it's people that you work with. Uh, sometimes you can't even put your finger on it, but you just know the devil is after you. And it's almost like Paul the Apostle. He said, I've been given a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Some of you are going through physical trials. And what we see is that this is something that, the Lord himself sees. And I just know for me that it helps to know that the Lord knows. He knows all about us. Not only does he know, but he numbers our, our trials. And we see that caring combination in Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 8, where the Bible says, you number my wanderings and you put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? And so what it means that he numbers our wanderings is that he won't let them go beyond, you know, this limit, beyond what you can take. 
so to speak, beyond what you can bear by the grace of God. And so he knows, he numbers, he even names them. Believe it or not, your trials are being recorded in his book. And so as we go through these things, as Smyrna was going through these things, Jesus said, I know your tribulation. The Greek word, ethlipsis, it primarily speaks of a pressure. And it's those things that burden our souls, uh, the different types of sufferings and afflictions. And sometimes it's the pains of our body. Sometimes it's the anguish of our mind. And so I know if not today, you know, the day will come, I promise you, where you're going to be in the pressure cooker. You're going to go through tribulations and trials because the devil is going to try to knock you down and knock you out. And I believe that this whole thing that we're going through has been that. And you're still here, and I praise God for that. You know, so we go through these trials, and there was something that Jesus had promised in John 16, 33. Remember, I always share that with you. Jesus said how in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, Paul said in Acts 14, 22. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And so the church in Smyrna was a church, and the Lord knew they were working hard, for their Savior, they were attacked by Satan. And then the Lord says there, thirdly, I know your poverty. Your poverty. Now, there's no doubt about it that they experienced what the Jews did in Nazi Germany in the 1930s when travel for the Jew was restricted and their shops and businesses were subject to frequent vandalism and looting in that sense, their livelihoods were destroyed and places of worship were desecrated and property was seized and they were humiliated and they were stigmatized and they were assaulted. That led up to the eventual genocide of six million Jews. But it's interesting how before they were slaughtered, they were impoverished. Like it says right here, this church was, was poor, you know, in the Bible, there are two main Greek words for poor. One is a, the, a life where, you know, you're trying to make ends meet, you know, and you're living paycheck to paycheck. Um, but the other is a Greek word that, that, that speaks of someone who's homeless, they're a beggar, and they're destitute, oftentimes reduced to slavery. That's how hard the church of Smyrna had been hit and I don't know if that'll happen to you. I don't know if that's going to happen to our kids. But I know that we can't compromise no matter what. So this is a situation they were in. The Lord says, I know your works. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. But he says there in verse 9, but you are rich. And that's so amazing that the Lord would say that. How, how are they rich? And, and what we find in life as Christians is there are those, not everybody, but there are those who, who are suffering in that sense and they may not have a lot of money and the things that money can buy. And, you know, as a result, people might judge you. They might look down on you. They might feel sorry for you. And look at that church. That, you know, they're not really big or they don't got this building or budget or body and all that kind of stuff, judging things according to the eyes of men. But when the Lord looks at that little church over there on the other side of the world in the, 
in the poorest village of Cambodia. He sees that little village you know, tent, he says to them, as opposed to the one mega church that everybody esteems and says, oh, they're so awesome. God says, we're going to see it later in Revelation 3.17. No, they're not. They are. He says, you, you are rich. Why? Because you have God. Because you are laying up treasures in heaven. Where moth can't destroy or rust or thief break in and steal. That's what he says about them. And for us as Christians, it's important to know what the Lord says. You know, you read the book of Ephesians, and in all the first three chapters, it talk about how rich you are. Maybe you might want to read Ephesians 1.7 or Ephesians 1.18 or Ephesians 3.8. It says that we have what's called the unsearchable riches, that you can't even begin to fathom how rich you are because you have worked for God. You have labored for the Lord. Some of you here at the end of the day, I know if you wanted to, you can make a lot more money. I know that. If you wanted to, you can take what you give to the church and you can probably buy stuff. But instead, you've chosen to give it to God out of obedience. And that might seriously hit you. It might seriously limit you. It might seriously cost you. You might think you're poor. But what an investment. The Lord says, you are actually rich. You know, one of my favorite worship songs is a song called Savior King. And in that song, it's so cool. And with the music and everything, it's a lot better. And I wish I could sing it to you. But the the song, it says, let now the poor stand and confess that our portion is him. And we're more than blessed. I mean, there are people that are so poor that people look down on them and judge them and feel sorry for them. And the Lord has it the other way. And he says, man, you are rich. We have to be be careful with our American mentality. And this definitely, it it strikes a big blow to that prosperity doctrine out there where they say that if you're a believer, you got to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. No, that's not what Jesus says. He says it has to do with spiritual riches. And so the Lord here knew their works. He knew their tribulation. He knew their poverty. He knew they were rich. And he knew their enemy. Look at verse 9. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And so more than likely, these were the individuals that were responsible They were like the instruments of persecution. Some say maybe they were Christians or they claimed to be Christians, but they really weren't. But more than likely, when we read the Bible and take it in context, we take it literally. And so these were people who were Jews, at least they said they were, but they really weren't. Romans chapter 2, it says he is not a Jew who's one outwardly, but he's a Jew who's one inwardly. And of course, we know that the rabbi Gamaliel was a Jew and he didn't come against Christians. He didn't persecute Christians. He just said, hey, you never know. Maybe what they have is of the Lord, so leave them alone. But we know that there were those who were not really Jews. They were really of the synagogue of Satan. And they were the ones that persecuted the church. And we even see it in history 
the responsibility that they had in persecuting the church in Smyrna. The Lord knew their enemy. The Lord heard their blasphemy. Look at verse 9. I know your works, tribulation, poverty, you're rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are, are Jews and are not. And the word blasphemy, it, it comes from a Greek word that means to injure and to speak. And it refers to speech that would defame the divine majesty. And we see that going on all over the world today. I don't know if you guys saw. To me, it was weird. There was a CNN uh, news guy or whatever on CNN who recently said that Jesus Christ admitted that he was not perfect. That's blasphemy. When you hear the name of the Lord taken in vain, that's blasphemy. People might come against you and speak things that are not true. That's the way the enemy operates. You know, in Smyrna, it's interesting. They actually accused the Christians of being atheists and cannibals because they didn't understand the Christian faith. We didn't believe in all their pagan gods. And so they actually defined them as atheists. They defined them as cannibals because they didn't understand what the Lord's Supper, what communion really was. It wasn't literal. It was just a symbolic they called them non-loyalists and, and other names. And so the Lord says, I know all that. I know what they're saying about you. And I know your future. Look what he says in verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. And so the Lord said, I know, you know, you guys are, you're going to go to jail. How many of you here have been to jail? Some of you spent time, you did vacation. I'm just joking. I won't make you guys raise your hand. But, you know, um, the Lord said, this is your future uh, as Christians. You know, you're going to be tested 10 days. Now, the word 10 in the Bible uh, has a couple of things. Number one, some say it actually speaks of the law. Others say it speaks of man's perfect number. You know, we have 10 fingers and 10 toes. Again, I don't know for sure. We know God's perfect number is seven. We know there are 10 commandments. It's interesting, uh, throughout history, there were actually 10 emperors that persecuted the Christian church in this season of her history. And so the Lord says, I know that you're about to suffer. You're about to go to prison. These are things that you're going to experience for 10 days. And so um, I don't know how you feel about the Lord saying this. Like, hey, Manny, I'm just letting you know ahead of time, you're going to go to jail. To me, if the Lord told me that, that I was going to go to jail for serving him, I would find a peace about it. And while it was all happening, I would have a peace about it because I would know it was told to me in advance. And I think that's why the Lord warns us in life as Christians. Sometimes people think that when you become a Christian, that everything is going to go easy. Sometimes it's amazing to me how immediately when someone comes to the Lord, immediately they begin to experience things that they don't seem right. And they're like, man, as soon as I started following the Lord wholeheartedly, I got hit with all these things. Listen, the Lord said this would happen. He's telling us in advance. 
so that when it happens, America, United States of America, when it happens, that you would know. My pastor told me 30 years ago about how things would happen eventually, how eventually there would be this one uh, world movement, this global movement, this global economy, this, this mark, this microchip, this cashless society. I mean, I, I heard that 30 years ago. This was when the, the Internet was just starting. But, but now you see it all coming together. And unless the Lord intervenes, we will experience this even in our country. And so uh, the Lord says, I know your future. And so this is what you need to do. And if, the, if you haven't, you know, remembered anything about the study, I'm going to pray for you right now. But these are the three things that you need to remember. Number one, do not fear. Number one, do not fear. Because you know what? I mean, here's like even the thing with the virus. I'll use that as an example. You know, some people are afraid, and I think they're too afraid. I think that, you know, they're not doing anything, and they're kind of worried, and it's stressing them out. This is what I would say. Let's do our best, you know. I don't know. I, I guess maybe wear a mask and do the physical distancing because that's what supposedly the doctors say we're supposed to do and and wash your hands but don't let it stop you from doing what god calls you to do you don't be afraid you want to know why because if we're responsible and obedient to god nothing can touch us that he hasn't allowed to touch us and if anything touches us from god's hands after it's been filtered through his will it's good for us so you don't have anything to be afraid of other than God. So do not fear, he says, as you're going to go through this. And, and I don't know how, what's going to happen next. And I don't know. We don't know. I mean, what, what happened in Seattle, that tripped me out. You know, we don't know, but we're not afraid. Do not be afraid because what fear does is it paralyzes us. What fear does is it burdens us. But then the second thing he says in, in verse 10 towards the end, he says, be faithful until death. Be faithful until the day you die. That's a big command. Because some people, they start off well and then they don't finish. You have to keep believing on the Lord Jesus Christ until the day you see him. Keep believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how hard you get hit or knocked down. Not only believing in him and as our Savior, but I would say this to you guys, serving him. Serving him. Be faithful in whatever your calling is to serve as a member of the body of Jesus Christ. Because, you know, you might go to heaven by the skin of your teeth, but if you never really served him, if you never really did what he asked you to do, you're going to have 1 John 2.28, where it says that some will be ashamed at his coming. I mean, don't you want to stand before the Lord and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant? 
So be faithful until death. Find out what the Lord wants you to do and do it with a reckless abandon. Be that husband, be that wife, be that parent, be that grandparent, be that servant, be that teacher, be that pastor, be that whatever it is, whatever the gifts and talents that he's given to you. Discover them and deploy them. And then the third thing he says right here in verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I have a feeling verse 11 is him saying, hey, listen to what I'm saying. You know, you guys have ears? How many of you here have ears? Right? So he's saying, okay, those of you who have ears, listen. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And I think it primarily means listen to this message, but I also think it means always be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because the Lord gives a message on Sundays but then the Holy Spirit teaches us and speaks to us all week long. And if you want to be a healthy Christian, if we want to be a healthy church, we need to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You see, as a result of this, we see the Christians and the Christ and the council. What we're trying to get you ready for is the crown. And that's what we read about here in verse 10. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. You know, the, the crown. Who, who's going to give you the crown? Jesus. Wow. What a day that will be when he crowns you with a, a martyr's crown or with a, a soul winner crown. And then we're going to take those crowns and we're going to cast them at his feet when he rewards us for that. You know, because a lot of people, unfortunately, are going to be swept away by the world and the distractions of the world and the enemy and the inclinations of the flesh. But he says right here, if you overcome, if you're faithful until death, I'll give you the crown of life. Now, there's an interesting passage in the book of James, chapter 1, in verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Until that day, you will be tempted. You will be tempted with sexual sin. You will be tempted with drugs. You will be tempted with drinking. You will be tempted with anger. You will be tempted with materialism. You will be tempted with the love of self. Whatever the sin might be that God can take and put between you and him, you will be tempted with that. But God says, endure that temptation. Don't give in to it. Because if you live that life of, of holiness, if you abide in Jesus, then you will receive that crown of life. And he says right there in verse 11, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The second death is what's described in Revelation chapter 20 in verse 14. And chapter 21, verse 8, 
where the Bible talks about how those whose names are not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. And so, you know, God today, he gave his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us. And when he died on that cross, he bore all our sins. He paid the punishment that we should have paid. He paid the payment on our behalf. And all you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I accept your payment. I believe in you. And as you do, as you overcome, as you endure, then it's so cool what ends up happening is we then will not be hurt by that second death. And as a pastor, as a brother, you know, I've seen a lot the last 30 years, a lot of people who used to abide, a lot of people who used to come to church, a lot of people who used to serve, and who knows, maybe they never really knew the Lord. Maybe they used to come to church, but they never really knew the Lord. They thought they did, but they didn't. And now they're out there. You know, the, the main appeal is, are you sure you know the Lord? And if you're not, then today, just say, yes, Jesus. I give you my heart. I believe in you. Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's not by works. It's the moment you place your faith in Jesus. And then no matter what happens, man, we're going to be okay. Some of you guys are, are going to go through life and, and perhaps it's not going to be too bad. You know, I kind of have like those dreams, like I'm going to live a really healthy life. And then one day I'm just going to go to sleep. My fan's going to be hitting me really nice. And then I'm just going to die, you know. <laughs> um, and, you know, not having gone through crazy trials. But none of us knows, huh? I mean, we live in a fallen world and fallen bodies. We fight fallen angels. Some of you have already experienced tremendous trials. And I'm here to tell you that some of you, it's ahead of you. You're going to go through tremendous trials. Maureen Schaefer, our sister who's in the Lord, she's in, in, in glory now. She went through tremendous trials. But she never, ever allowed her faith to fade. And that's what we're seeing here. That's the encouragement for us who it looks like we're hearing the same message right now. The Lord is saying, get ready, because it's coming. No, last thing I want to share with you, and we don't have time to really develop it too much, but there's an individual in church history. His name is Polycarp. And if you get a chance, maybe Google him online, and there's actually some really solid historical literature that we have regarding his life. He was actually a disciple of John the Beloved, and he was the bishop of Smyrna. And 50 years after this letter was written, uh, this individual was arrested because he was preaching the gospel. And he was brought before the authorities. And the authorities said to Polycarp, who by that time was 86 years old, the authorities said to him, recant, repent. And they said, you know, to, to confess Caesar as Lord, and we won't feed you to the beasts. 
And Polycarp said, how can I recant when after 86 years, my Lord has been faithful? How can I not be faithful to him? To which then they turned up the heat and they said, if you don't recant, if you don't repent, they said, then not only will we feed you to the beast, we'll burn you alive. And Polycarp said, I may burn for a season, but those who don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will burn forever. And they, they burned him at the stake. And then you read his story, and it's a real fascinating story. The flames couldn't take his life because there was something special about this man and eventually they had to spear him through but the whole process of living and dying was a testimony to the lordship of jesus christ and that's what we want huh how many of you here would be willing to go to prison for jesus maybe we could be sallies how many of you here would be willing to die for him yeah i don't know i don't know if we're gonna have to cross that road but you get ready and you get your children ready because we know the devil, the Bible says he's a murderer and that's his agenda. So today, if you're vacillating your commitment to the Lord, don't play games with God. I pray that today you would get right with him. And if you don't know him, if you never really accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you might be watching this online. I pray you would know he loves you. He's got this amazing plan and life for you. Follow him. Choose to follow Jesus today.